Welcome to church, and we're going to just go to our slides. Thank you. So, Nabi, Navi. Uh, so, this is the Hebrew word for prophesy. Turn to your neighbor and say, Navi. Navi. So, it literally means to bubble up, uh, or one who speaks as a representative of God. And so, it, prophecy is not about always telling the future. Most times it's actually just telling you what God wants you to know now. Uh, so prophecy can be very much forthtelling, uh, and it can be foretelling as well, but it's mostly about forthtelling. And uh, God would want all of his people to be prophets, and that's part of what Fergus tried to activate in the life of our church is that ability just to be prophetic. Not pathetic, but prophetic, which means that you then take some responsibility for the atmosphere around you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that the devil is the prince of the power of the atmosphere. So when we think about the way that the world works, there's the normal air that we breathe, and then in that second heaven, the first heaven's the air that we breathe where the birds fly, the second heaven is the domain of spiritual forces, evil rulers, uh, dark authorities. That's where they exist. That's where they abide, which is why sometimes your prayers don't get through and the angels don't get down. It's because there is opposition in that layer. So the Prince, the devil, seeks to control the atmosphere over Armadale. He seeks to control the atmosphere in your house. He seeks to control the atmosphere in your workplace. And if you've just been around a little bit of while, you can actually detect that. If you're not even saved, if you're just a human being, you can walk into some places and just know something's not right. Yeah? You, you can just, uh, one of the first times I really sensed this that, uh, in, in a significant way is I was going to mainland China to do some ministry with the underground church. And I went from, uh, Perth to Hong Kong. Someone introduced me to wasabi in Hong Kong. And I said, what is a baby? You know, <laughs> just, that stuff blows up in your mouth, that very hot green custard you like it after a while. <laughs> it's great to have Frank and Tanya back in the house just for the day visiting. Fantastic guys. Yeah, we love them, don't we? So um, then we get in uh, basically a train because Hong Kong is almost connected to the mainland. And as you went from Hong Kong into China, like hello, there is something different about the atmosphere here. You could physically feel it. I remember going on an early trip to Thailand once and found the Thai people really pleasant and uh, delightful experience. And then we went to the largest Buddhist monastery in Chiang Mai, largest one in Thailand of that particular variation of Buddhism. You walk in there and even the tourists are saying, you know, I'm just eavesdropping, there's something wrong here. Although this is meant to be a place of worship, you came out of that place feeling unclean and impure and dirty. That was interesting. So the atmosphere, the prince of the power of the atmosphere. 
Well, I want to tell you, you're a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That you are a son of God and he wants you to rule and reign in heavenly places. And today you can be seated in earthly places down here. You can be, uh, you know, captured by your human experience, by the circumstances, the demands, the stress of your life, your problems, your issues, your difficulties. Or in the name of Jesus, you can choose to be lifted above and beyond all that and to be seated alongside Jesus and to be saying, Jesus, what are you doing today in my family? What are you doing today in my workplace? What are you doing today in Armadale? And with him, rule and reign. Can someone smash that like tag and go, Amen? That is what we're meant to do. And then change the atmosphere. And look, maybe you by yourself can't fully change the atmosphere. Um, but I've found we have more, far more influence than what we think about. In my secular days, when I had a real job, uh, they, I used to work in the uh, Department of Transport and I was very open about my faith and they would go, it was almost like sport. How can we get Mike today? You know, that hide pornography in my drawer. You know, they'd, they, they'd, they'd put one day a, a false plastic hand you get from a joke shop on the door handle of my office just to see what would happen when I reached to go to the door, you know. They were so wanting me to swear, you know. I did say something, but it was actually it was more than PG, you know. <laughs> I think I said something like, oh, some wonderful person, you know. <laughs> trying to bait you, trying to bait you and trying to bait you. But you know what? The moment I walk in, the dirty jokes would stop. Fascinating, eh? There have been other places where I go and, you know, the first thing happens is, oh, I'm sorry, I'm swearing. You know, they want to correct their swearing. And I appreciate that respect. But we have far more influence over the atmosphere. I want to live in a place where people don't want to tell dirty jokes, do porn, be cheating, be greedy, be stealing. I want to make a difference. And so we are destined by God, if we'll grow, to actually rule and reign. Oh, well, three people think so. So, Navi. So it's a spokesperson for God, that you're speaking and acting as if God was alongside you, this is a, just another way of saying that you are an ambassador for God. Have you heard that before? That you are Christ's ambassadors? That you are meant to represent his kingdom where you go? That's you being a prophet or being prophetic. It's not always, thus saith the Lord with a microphone. Sometimes it's just going in and uh, sitting in a movie theater and halfway through that movie you're saying, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't watch this. This is not, this is not right. It sometimes doesn't have to be the big thing. It can just be, I'm going to take control and responsibility over the atmosphere around them. So it's a spokesperson for God, but etymologically, at the root of its meaning, Navi means to bubble up like a spring of water. You know, this bubbling up, this, this, this gushing up. So it's, it's very useful to understand if you want to be prophetic, its source is here. It's Ultimate source comes from within. And what's it like? The Bible says it's like a spring of water that bubbles, that percolates up 
And, of course, in a desert region, region, that's life. That's the difference between death and life. That's water. That's what happens. So Navi is the etymological uh, understanding of the Hebrew word Navi. Next slide. Thank you. Okay. One, let's leave you three principles, learning a little bit out of thing. It's really understanding important that Paul is very clear. When it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are wonderful, and he wants the church to be fully mobilized in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are nine gifts, but the most important thing is love. So if you've got to make a choice, and you shouldn't make a choice, it's not an either or, it, it is an and, but Paul's emphasis is love never fails. Can you say that? I want you to say it like you've got some attitude. I'm sorry. <laughs> love never fails. Love never fails. Law fails. Money fails. People fail. Pastors fail. Churches fail. But love never fails. That can absolutely release you. And Paul's very clear. He says, you know, if I have, you know, you know, mysteries, if I can speak this, if I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, then I am like a, the clashing of a symbol. So one of the things that we're working really hard on at church is for us to be a loving church. And loving church is actually a church where we actually love people. Have you met people? I was doing a leadership thing the other day for another church. And we're talking about loving people and how to connect people to church and stuff. But it was about, you know, we've got this list of people and we've got to ring so many people and we've got to invite so many people and we've got to connect them and force them through to connect groups and all the rest. And I said, you know, you could do that wonderfully well. You could. And it might even work mechanically, but it's still not love. It's still not love. Come on. It's still not agape which is I love you because I've made a decision to honor my God and I will love you no matter what I get back in return. See, every other love in the human world is usually what you call transactional. You be nice to me and I'll be nice to you. You be nasty to me and I will be... I might might ignore you. I might be better than you. (laughs) Genuine love is I will love you because God loves you, no matter what the return is. And so we want to be really strong on loving people. And, you know, there are some people in our church I really thank God for because they really helped me to learn how to love. <laughs> I mean, have you met Gary, you know? <laughs> some people are more difficult to love than others. But thank God for them. Thank God for those difficult sandpaper Christians in your life. You know what a sandpaper Christian is? They just rub you the wrong way. I better get moving, but I'll just share you one story. Told it before, but unfortunately I only have one life, so I can only tell you my stories. 
So I went to Bible college back in 1984. I know most of you weren't born then. Yeah, da, da, da. And uh, I, I, I go halfway through a year, which ends up meaning I'm only in a class of two, me and another man by the name of Miles Pellot. I can remember his name to this day. So Miles was a school teacher. And I come from a long, 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 long line of school teachers. And God bless you. If you're a school teacher, I know you don't do this, but I grew up in a home where everything was marked. Everything was marked. So, you know, you got 7 out of 10. Michael, you could do better than that. You could be an 8 out of 10. And it was like a disease on our family. My grandmother on my mother's side was the first female principal in Western Australia. And she did it the hard way. She went through the Great Depression. Her mother died early. At the age of 14, her mother died and she raised six kids and then grew all the way to be the principal of a state school. When my grandma said to me, you know, when I'm a little ticker tack and we've gone around there to visit granddad and grandma, would you like to read a story? It was not going to be a good thing. This was not going to be fun. This wasn't going to be silly voices. <laughs> this wasn't going to be lollies. This was going to be grammar exam number 5010. You know, it was going to be brutal, cold, and frosty. So I come from a long, long, long line of school teachers. Miles was a school teacher. Now, God, by his amazing, amazing grace in my life, I went from a kid who couldn't read or write to actually being a senior research officer for the state government and actually considered to be reasonably intelligent, at least half intelligent. We're still trying to figure out which half. But, so I've gone, I've gone to Bible college, and in my Bible college I graduated with the highest academic average ever in the life of the college. So I graduated with an academic average of 96.4% over 96 subjects. So just, just some context, just some context. They started to call me IBM. They thought I had a, a, a like computer memory. Look, the truth is, I, I came as a research officer. The guy next, you know, now another guy came in as a bricklayer. You know, I had a few skills that put me ahead of the thing. But towards the end, I was actually setting the exams for my own class. I got 101 out of 100 for one subject. I mean, that that's impossible, but I actually wrote a paper that was so advanced that the uh, the guy just had to give me the marks. That's what he said anyway. So this is me. So I'm in class now. I'm trying to learn, but Miles would sit next to me because with this class alone. And as I'm writing my notes, he would lean across and he'd correct my spelling. Now, do I have buttons? My wife will tell you, he has buttons. <laughs> Miles found out the biggest button in my life. You know, that sort of school teacher marking on your life. He just knew how to, and boom, away he'd go. Now, my wife and I, we took a big step of faith to go to Bible college. We drove across the Nullarbor in our Galant station wagon. The gearbox broke down in Kalgoorlie. And we spent all our money in getting that fixed. Get to New Zealand, uh, New, Zealand New South Wales. <laughs> broke, absolutely dead broke. No money at all. And then fast forward 12 months. My wife's working for basically a, a clothing shop. Think cotton on. I'm stripping for a living. I'm a professional stripper. Um, floors, floors. 
just just to put that in context. Sorry for that mental image. Uh, some of you are absolutely scarred now for life. I apologize. <laughs> so I get up at uh, 3.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30, start work at 4 to 7, uh, go home, shower, change, uh, five hours of lectures, uh, go back home, do a bit of assignments, go to sleep and do that all over again. You know, we had really tough years. I'm sitting in my class one day looking out the window and there's my now TE Cortina that used more oil than petrol and I see Miles in his car back into my car and break the light. He's a Christian, isn't he? Well, guess what? It was a mystery whoever did this. Miles never came forth. Never said so. But, you know, I'm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So he's just pushing my buttons, pushing my buttons. Then, about six weeks later, we've repaired the light on our oil guzzler. And uh, then there's this announcement in chapel, the Bible College chapel, saying, um, Miles and his dear family have uh, got to a really difficult point with their finances. And we don't normally do this as a church, but as a fellowship, but we're going to take up an offering to help them get a new car. Do I have an attitude or what? (laughs) I mean, it's not fair. He's up my nose with a rubber hose. I I hope some of you can hear that sometimes God absolutely knows what you need to change you. Sometimes he knows absolutely what you need to change you. So don't look at your husband. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at those people. Just say, God, you know best. What can I learn out of this situation? So let love be your greatest aim. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. So the Bible takes up three chapters of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, to really say gifts are wonderful. We should be doing the gifts decently in order, but realize that love is the best thing to do. If we never have another prophecy in this house, but we can love these people here, if we can love you, then we can love them. And the world is in desperate need for non-possessive, non-broken, non-damaged love. That's what will change the world. When you love one another, then the world will know that you are my disciples. It's love, it's love, it's love. It's agape. This is what we are required to do. But once we get love in order, Paul says it's really good for you to have eager desire. The word is zelo in Greek, zeal, passion for the gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And if I was doing a fuller lesson today, I'd say it's because prophecy opens up all the supernatural to you. But we won't do that bit today. Next slide. So what's number one? Love. Number two, learn. So from the Old Testament even, we could use New Testament patterns as well, but we'll just look at this Old Testament pattern. The Spirit of God can come into a meeting or into a location where it's contagious. The atmosphere does change. 
in uh, Luke's gospel says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. There's a contagion. Churches at their best can create an environment, an atmosphere, a place where the veil is thin and God is present in a way that it's tangible. We had a bit of a taste of that last week. And uh, as God will help us, we'll try and do that again and again every week. But here, just in the story of Saul as an example, 1 Samuel chapter 10. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of the prophets met him and the Spirit of God came powerfully on him and he joined in their prophesying. So he's actually out looking for donkeys. Okay, that's what he's doing. His agenda, his plans changed because he got into an environment where it was contagious and it overruled his current plans. Two quick points. Thank God for the prophets because they then were able to create an atmosphere. Okay? And thank God then the Spirit came upon him. When all these had formerly known saw him prophesying with the prophets, see how the prophets are a part of this company? They asked each other, what is this that's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, and who is their father? He's saying, it is Saul amongst the prophets. 1 Samuel chapter 19. So here the story has changed a little bit. Saul wants to kill David. That's his plan. That's his agenda. Not a good thing, is it? In fact, pretty evil, isn't it? Pretty nasty to want to kill someone. So he sends his soldiers to go capture David. The soldiers come into an atmosphere that is so contagious that they fall down and prophesy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, it wouldn't it be wonderful for someone to come to Champion Lakes Christian Church to sell drugs? I mean, that's happened here. It's happened over the years. But for the atmosphere to be so contagious that they fall down and worship God and that they change, that, that would be really exciting. You know what? My sermon's not going to help you much today. I'm doing my best, but God, when he's contagious and present, can change your life forever. So this is the story in 1 Samuel 19. Years later, as King Saul sent three different groups of servants who prophesied to David, and then Saul personally traveled to this location. He again prophesied. May this be a location where people's secular earthly agendas are overturned for kingdom stories and agendas. Saul went to Naoth and Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him. He's a king. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments and he too prophesied in Saul's presence. He laid naked all day and all night. He did some carpet time. Some of you laughed about me doing some carpet time. You were going to leave me there. <laughs> Come back and get me the next day. <laughs> Did some carpet time. Uh, our local member, Matt Keogh, would like to come and just speak to us as a church. I don't know if we'll let him do that or not. We might just take him out for coffee. But it would be really nice if he came. <laughs> and as Esther's singing, you know, oh, glorious day. <laughs> and he takes his suit off. <laughs> lays down on the floor for 24 hours prophesying you know the wonders and the glory of God wouldn't that be something wouldn't that be something hallelujah so this capacity to release God through the prophets and God wants all of his people to prophesy all of them 
So that's what we have to learn out of experience, that it can be contagious. In fact, it can be the other way around. Doubt can be contagious. Yeah? Criticism can be contagious. The flu can be contagious. But I want to tell you, God in his power can be contagious. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mum, for coming. Next slide. So we've got to love, we've got to learn. And this is the prediction that was made over Saul. And the Holy Spirit powerfully comes upon you and you'll prophesy and be changed into a different person. Oh, that's, that's the power of these moments. That's the power of those burning bush experiences, you know. And I tell you what, when I was hearing Cassie get her word and, you know, David getting his word and all these little young ones here and Jaden and some of the older ones, I've got tears going down my eye. I mean, I, uh, I'd, I'd get back the prophet just for that because it can change their lives. You can be turned into a different person. Your destiny can shift because of the prophetic word for God over your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, <clears throat> so when the Holy Spirit, and he did, he was changed. Uh, verse 9 says, and God gave him a new heart. He had a new heart. But, next slide, didn't finish so well. Here's Rembrandt, very famous picture. If you can hang it on your wall, you're a very wealthy man. There's uh, King Saul on the left there. Yes, your left. Uh, not looking particularly happy. He's got his javelin in his hands and there's King David playing the harp and we know what's going to happen. This king loses something because of envy. Putting his eyes on someone else. Um, Pastor Karen is away today preaching somewhere else. They wanted her to go preach to them. Didn't want me. <laughs> they wanted her. How do I feel about that? Yoo-hoo. Fantastic. I went to uh, Singapore, Malaysia. I did all the heavy lifting. And uh, Samuel Cortez gets a bigger love offering than his mother. A bigger love offering than his senior pastor. And it was a good offering. I mean, it was generous. How do I feel about that? Yes, Lord! Fantastic. If someone's doing better than you, you should be happy about that. Anybody who seems to be doing Better than you. i tell you something. They probably paid a price to be there. Come on. Probably paid a price. You don't know everything. And we should absolutely encourage and enjoy and bless those. Prefer one another above yourself. Philippians chapter 2. Have this same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus and make my joy complete. Prefer one another. Prefer one another. Over your own stuff. Beware of your own selfish ambitions. Envy killed a king. Killed a king's anointing. Now he did some other boo-boos. He consulted a witch. But it's all attached, isn't it? You know, one thing leads to another thing. That leads to another thing. And, and what seemed like a small thing to begin with, you know, King David's rising up and the popularity, the people are singing, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. 
instead of Saul being able to sing that, he said, oh, how dare they say that? Who am I? And he gets, and that little invisible thing of envy turns into a bitterness that then puts him in a place that then the spirit of the Lord leaves him. He's now being oppressed by an evil spirit that only King David and music, they see the relationship between music and deliverance, music and worship, music and prophesying. God bless you, Esther and the team. There's a relationship and all that. And then out of that, he then has to consult a witch because no, no, he's not talking to God anymore about his life. He's now got to go find someone else. So he goes and talks to a witch, which was a really stupid thing to do, and he ends up committing suicide. How the mighty have fallen. King David weeps over the loss of Saul. How the mighty have fallen. What went wrong? Next slide. Well, here's, here's the deal. He started with donkeys, got with the prophets, followed God, and everything was going pretty good. Then he got to a stage where he disobeyed God. And, you know, at that point, it's absolutely okay to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I blew it. And he says, I know, Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Don't do it again. Yes, I'll try. And God will let you have another go and another go and another go and another go. Yeah, sin is not the problem, Fergus was saying. It's not the problem. Jesus has dealt with the problem of sin. But you've got to choose that. You've absolutely got to choose to go to the cross. Choose to go to the blood of Jesus that washes away. But he turned away. What, what a tragedy. So here's the big thing about prophecy is you still have to obey God. It's not magic. You still have to do what you've got to do. You've got to pray. You've got to give. You gotta read your Bible. You gotta be nice to people. <laughs> the prophecy alone doesn't do that. It's the trigger. It's the motivation. It's the fire by which you can walk. Moses said that amazing experience at Mount Horeb. Take your shoes off, Lord, and, uh, you know, go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Do you know, it was probably a good thousand miles from that hilltop to the Pharaoh's court? Are you hearing me? Now, it's a prophecy. It actually formed a nation, this prophecy, but it was still a long walk. He had to walk it out. He had to stand in front of the Pharaoh. So, uh, please, 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 can I, can I beg you, by the mercies of God, we have a Bible, and we have our feelings. We have a Bible that says do this and don't do that. You know, don't do this, do this. And then we have our feelings. Can I beg you to learn the art of not listening to your feelings, but to listen to the word of God. I had a young man tell me last week, it was so it was like gold. He says, Pastor Mike, I have learned that I don't have to feel like doing it before it's right to do. Wow! Come on, say wow. Say it backwards. Because sometimes you'll never feel like doing it. Did I ever feel like loving miles below? Come on! Never! <laughs> but I obeyed, and uh, we were able to form an interesting relationship over the years. 
and uh, he, he's gone on to do uh, doctoral studies in Latin scriptures, and I think he'll be very good at that. So keep him away from people. Ooh. <laughs> well, I just encouraged him into his gifting. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. I've been, how long have I been a Christian for? 1976. Last payday, I did not feel like tithing. Didn't feel like it. In fact, right now, I'm again one of those times where I can't afford to tithe. I think that's probably where I am every time, but I'm at a particular point in life where I really can't afford to tithe. Didn't feel like it, so I gave more. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to do what's the right thing to do. My uh, dear sister, bless her, has come across from Canberra. She's a chronic alcoholic. We're trying to get her to church. And uh, she's vomiting. She probably weighs 100 kilos, 120 kilos. She's got a failing heart. Uh, she's got CPOD. She's, her hand's been sleeved because of wrong IV injection. She's a mess, a real mess. And the other day she said, uh, Hey, Mike, are you happy? And I said... I think that's not a good question. I think a lot of what's wrong with the world these days is people want to be happy. And you know what? I have happy times. I have happy times. And I have unhappy times. This is, I, don't, I don't think that's the right metric. Because, you know, what I'm finding out, people leave relationships today because they're unhappy. What a stupid reason to leave a relationship. Or they're leaving jobs because they're unhappy or they're leaving churches because they're unhappy because happiness changes happiness depends upon happenings and when your happenings change then your happiness changes i said to said to my sister i think by god's grace i've learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstance i am and i can be in the worst of circumstances seriously the worst of circumstances and actually still have this bubble here where actually it's all right with me in the universe. And I can be on the other side of that too, you know, and, you know, where everything's happening. And I actually don't get a lot of buzz out of that. You know, I'm just like over that now. You know, I was blessed in Malaysia to go to the Malaysia KIL Tower, you know, 350 stories above and, you know, this revolting restaurant and this amazing food and stuff like this. You know what? I'd have been just as happy at home with a cheesy and a good book. Just as happy. Just as happy. Have you learnt the secret of being content? Whether you have much or whether you have little. It's great power. Following God. Okay, last one we think. I've gone long, sorry. So I want to talk to you about legacy. So love is important. You've got to learn about the contagious atmosphere. It's our job wherever we are and particularly corporately, to generate an atmosphere where there's there's the possibility of God's invasion into our lives. Is it possible today, my friend here today, is it possible for God, the Holy Spirit, to invade your life today where you are in your problems? See, I really want you to believe that. That's possible. That today is your day. That God could pull you out. Bang meet all your needs, answer all your questions today.
But there are conditions. Now, there's an old movie called Laughter in Paradise. And uh, basically, the, the, it's, it's a good laugh. It's made in 1951. The setting is that there's this very eccentric old man who dies and he leaves a fortune to his four children, relatives. But it's a conditional thing. One guy's got to go out. He's worked for a bank all his life. He's a very mild-mannered person. He's got to rob the bank in two minutes. Otherwise, he doesn't get the inheritance. Another man's a bit of a playboy. He's got to go out and marry the first woman that he meets. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? So you, they're all set up. And at the end of it, the story, there is no money. And this guy's played this big joke on it. But, of course, the truth is it's a joke on everybody else as well. And everybody enjoys it. Some things in life are conditional. Who would like the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? A few of you. Fantastic. Okay. Do you know how you get it? If, 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 if you think on that which is good, if you think on that which is reliable, if you think on that which is trustworthy, if you think on that which is proper and noble, if you think on these things, then... The peace of God will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Who would like to be blessed in your finances? Well, if you put me first, if you make the kingdom of God your priority and then his kingdom, then all these things, they are conditional. Every promise of God is not magic. It involves a relationship where God says, I want to do this for you, but you've got to do a little bit towards that. Do you hear what I'm saying? So for all of those who got those prophecies last week, I want you to know that God wants to do it. But you've got to do your part of that journey, whatever that means. Samuel had an amazing word over his life about learning over three years and stuff like that while he's in Bible college. Thank you, Jesus. Because maybe if he had that word and he just continued to do what he's doing, didn't open up a Bible for three years, maybe it wouldn't happen. You see, we've got to do our bit in responding. Say yes. Say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Take you a long way. Last one. And really understand that the joy is actually in the journey. It's actually not in the destination. You know, so, you know, Mike, I'm going to use you for your kingdom. And then you do this and you do this. And you think, oh, well, when I get to be pastor, then all of a sudden it'll all be okay. And I'll feel good about myself and stuff. Oh, dear. Did I need deliverance? (laughs) The secret is enjoying the journey. So the destination is important because that's our destiny. But enjoy where you are today and the next step and that next step. The joy is in the journey. It's in the journey. Uh, A number of years ago, a significant uh, prophet, a guy very much like Fergus coming out of the New Zealand movement, the Latter-day Rain movement, and uh, he went to Canada too, probably where he based himself. Uh, He tells a story once of... uh, he was ministering in a church and uh, there was this uh, very attractive young girl sitting in the front row and this very ordinary looking boy sitting next to him and stuff. 
So he has this word over the very ordinary looking boy saying that um, God's called you to be a missionary to Africa and that God was going to send him to Africa and he was going to be responsible for starting a new movement and 200 odd churches will come out of this man's ministry. And everybody in the church starts to laugh. You know, that little nervous <laughs> and stuff. And uh, he didn't know the story. He's just a prophet, visiting the house, doesn't know anybody from him. But, but what, what was happening, that was the pastor's daughter. And this dropkick pagan that she'd picked up from school had come to church for the very first time. He's not even saved. He probably only has one thing on his mind. It's probably not particularly biblical. But he's in the front row. So that's, you can understand why the church sort of like didn't really warm to that prophecy. So anyway, fast forward 20 years, this prophet's now uh, going to visit Africa and he gets off the plane and this man comes up, shakes his hand, says to him, uh, Pastor, do you remember me? And he says, no, sorry, I don't. I mean, lots of people all around the world. And he says, well, you prophesied over me many years ago. He says, well, I can't remember. He says, I was at that church. And you said that uh, I was going to be a missionary to Africa. And I wasn't saved. So I thought if I was going to be a missionary to Africa, probably I ought to get saved first. So the following week, I rang up the pastor and said, you know, how do you become a Christian? And the guy says, well, fantastic. He says, well, then I began to think more about that prophecy. He says, well, if I'm going to be a missionary to Africa, I probably need to know my Bible, probably need to get some good training and doctrine. So as a result of that, I got myself water baptized and I went to Bible college. Oh, fantastic. Great. And then so after I came out of Bible college, I was praying and thinking and God said, uh, uh, and, I, and I believe God because, you know, what you said back there as I go to Africa, I thought I'd better learn Swahili. I think it was Swahili you learned. So you began to learn that language. And then he says, oh, well, I came to Africa about 10, 15 years ago. But I want to tell you, you, know, you, you got your prophecy wrong. He says, hello? So how, how do I get my prophecy wrong? He says, well, I haven't planted 200 churches. It's more like 2,000 churches. Wow. Wow. Hey, imagine what God's going to do. I've been saved uh, about a week. I open up the Bible. Because... When you're first saved, you don't know the end from the beginning, so it tends to just go pop. And if you're lucky, you get Psalms. <laughs> if you're unlucky, you get Isaiah. <laughs> if you're really unlucky, you get Ezekiel. They're all about in the middle, you know. I'm just getting over drugs. This guy's still doing drugs. <laughs> and uh, open up, force to Isaiah chapter 6. I don't know the first page of the Bible from the last page of the Bible. And I start to read this. And it's about this vision that Isaiah has, God's glory. And at the end of that moment, uh, in, in that moment, Isaiah hears the words, who will go for us and whom shall I send? And I don't know what happened, but it's like you hit me with a tunnel of emotion. I just began to deeply break up here. That bubbling, that prophetic just began to be unleashed in my I had no idea what was going on. I just didn't know. Lord, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And then nothing happens then for quite a number of years. I get married. We come to this church. It was a little church, about 25 people in Forest Road. 
and I'm playing clarinet with my gorgeous wife and the flute and we look so 70s. It's embarrassing now, it really is. We served in the church, we did the children's ministry, we did uh, social uh, events, we were deacons, we, we did treasury, we did the auditing, we cleaned the church, we just served this church locally. And then about the first year we were there, we have a missions conference. I've now become the missions pastor of the church as well, doing what Simon's now doing. And I ordered a poster, a, a range of posters from Scripture Union, and they arrived for this missions. I open up one of them. There's a boy from India standing at the door with that scripture, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And again, oh, God, what are you doing? And I really, and Monique is terribly nervous that we're going to pack our bags and go to India. And about, it was probably almost 20 years later that I first go to India and uh, started to connect with the uh, work of Pompey. We've had Bishop Pompey here in the Gospel Federation of North India. And we have now worked not intensely with this group, but off and on, Anna Marie and Karen have been there for women's conferences. I've been there probably every couple of years. But I've actually written their national constitution. The national constitution of an indigenous, Assembly of God, Pentecostal movement, I got to write here in Western Australia. I mean, what a privilege. What an amazing thing. When their bishop got into a very difficult place, where, um, see, in India they have arranged marriages. If I ever form my own denomination, I'm bringing that sucker back. <laughs> I think we could save a lot of these young people a lot of trouble if we could get to choose Bethany. <laughs> um, but as Pompey went through this arranged marriage, the woman that was picked for him to be his bride, he met at the wedding day. They had chai before, but that was just chai. Met her. She had schizophrenia. And that had been kept from out of the discussions. And because very sadly, schizophrenia is a, is, a, is a disease which can be effectively treated these days if people take their proper medication. But often what happens is that they feel good and well, so they go off their medication. And this lady sadly went off the medication so badly that she went back into Hinduism. She would run around the village naked. The marriage was never consummated. And this was a terrible embarrassment. In India, well, this is a bit difficult to say, but between adultery and divorce... Divorce is a more serious sin than adultery. It's cultural. You know, adultery is not right, but often that will be treated very lightly and they'll try and fix it, but if you're divorced. So now this movement is in crisis. It's God-given, chosen leader is absolutely about to be pushed out of his role because of something that's not his fault. And you know who they rang? Their pocket theologian. They rang me. Pastor Mike, can you tell us what the Bible teaches about divorce and remarriage? And I was able to lead 
that denomination through transitioning into the fact that this man can still function as a man of God because he's not at fault. He's the innocent party. I'm just trying to say, guys, why don't you just give your life to Jesus? (laughs) It's the greatest adventure you'll ever have. Give up on your feelings. Give up on all those other issues that you might have. Go hard for God and just walk it out day after day after day. Keep going after God and I guarantee you, money back guarantee, you'll have the most amazing, wonderful, significant, abundant life. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Some people think that. All right. Find the joy in the journey. Father, we do thank you. Could we have the team up? I have gone longer than I should have, sorry. But I've told you a few stories. Are the stories okay? It's all true too. It's all true. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's stand in God's presence. We're going to pray. I will release you quickly, so thank you. Thank you, Lord. Rather me come pray for you. Can you just, I know it's a little bit silly, but just, just, just humor me, please. Can you put your hand on your head? And, and just say, Lord, I give you my head. I give you all my attitudes, my thoughts, my questions. Lord, may this be a head that hears you. Put your hand over your heart. Lord, I now give you my heart. Feelings are wonderful. Feelings are terrible. Feelings are unreliable. But I give you my heart. Now just put your hands out in front of you. Lord, I give you my hands. The only hands you have are these hands. Use them for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We have lamb. And what do you reckon? Glorious day? Yeah, I love it. Come out of that tomb. Fantastic.